0: Ladies and gentlemen, the captain has turned on the fasten seatbelt sign. If you haven't already done so, please make sure the volume of this podcast is set perfectly to your listening enjoyment. Please take your seat, whether that's on the treadmill, car, sofa, or bed, and buckle in for the last trip. My name is Jamie Beebe and I'll be your tour guide, recreating someone's last days in paradise. On behalf of myself and everyone behind the scenes, please enjoy the last trip podcast. And because nobody likes a long flight to get to where they want to be, let's prepare for takeoff. Our victim today is Robin Gardner, a 35-year-old woman from Frederick, Maryland, who flew to Aruba for a relaxing vacation with a man she met online. The couple arrived in Aruba on July 31, 2011, and she was last seen on August 2nd, leaving a beachside bar. She has not been seen or heard from since. Guys, I am so surprised the man Robin went to Aruba with is not in prison for her disappearance. This episode is a roller coaster of emotions and clues, so let's dive in. In the true crime world, Natalie Holloway put Aruba on the map in 2005 when she mysteriously vanished. If you remember, Natalie was an 18 year old student who disappeared in Aruba during a high school graduation trip. She was last seen leaving a nightclub with Joran Vandersloot, but they didn't have enough evidence to convict him of her murder until he finally confessed this year. Beyond those headlines, Aruba is an awesome vacation spot. I stopped there a few years back while I was on a cruise and spent the day riding a scooter around the island. It's totally my kind of place. Laid back, sunny, and the water is warm. Aruba is a Caribbean island that's part of the Netherlands, although it has its own government and constitution. The earliest known people on Aruba arrived around 1000 AD and they were mostly fishermen and farmers. In 1499, Spanish explorer Alonso de Ojeda landed on Aruba, but he didn't see Aruba as a place with a lot of resources because of the climate, so the Spanish didn't stay or establish a settlement there. In the 1600s, the Dutch claimed Aruba and a few other islands in the area. They established plantations and focused on aloe cultivation and raising livestock. In the 1800s, Aruba experienced a gold rush, but it died out in the early 1900s when oil was discovered nearby in Venezuela. They put an oil refinery on Aruba, and that took over the economy for a few decades. During World War II, Allies stationed troops on the island to protect the oil refinery from the Germans. But since then, they faced a lot of financial challenges and most oil operations are no longer functioning in Aruba. In 1990, tourism took over Aruba's economy. There are approximately 2 million tourists going to Aruba each year and 80% of those people are coming from the United States. Aruba has some of the most beautiful beaches in the world and the weather just couldn't be better. It's pretty much 80 to 90 degrees year-round and, you know, that's my sweet spot. It's a really popular cruise ship port, so a lot of people stop off for a day to enjoy the island and spend their money. The beaches in Aruba have soft, pristine white sand and clear turquoise water. When you picture yourself laying on the beach enjoying the good life, you're probably picturing Aruba. The best beaches on the island are Eagle Beach and Palm Beach. These are also the most crowded and the most expensive areas of Aruba. If you go to Eagle Beach, you have to visit the famous Fofoti tree. There are Fofoti trees throughout the island, but this one has a particularly twisted trunk and points southeast because of the constant trade winds. This specific tree has been in a bunch of magazines and you can see photos of it all over social media. When I was there, I visited Baby Beach, which is actually the same beach our victim was last seen at. Baby Beach is popular for families because the water is warm, shallow, and generally between knee and waist deep because of a man-made breakwater. You can lay on the beach all day, drinking fruity drinks and enjoying the sun. And there's also snorkeling, scuba diving, windsurfing, and sailing. Or there's lots of hiking trails and horseback riding. Because I like to see strange and unusual places when I travel, located down a dirt road past Baby Beach is Pet Cemetery Beach. The Pet Cemetery originated about 100 years ago when employees of the Lago Oil Refinery who lived in the area buried their deceased pets at this remote beach. The ritual continued throughout the years and today it's adorned with colorful tributes to pets that have crossed the Rainbow Bridge. If you're like me and want to skip the bars and the crowds, you should visit the Arrokok National Park to explore caves, trails, and tons of cool rock and limestone formations that form natural bridges and cliffs. The most popular attraction in the park is a natural pool known as Conchi. It's a secluded swimming spot formed by volcanic rock located on the northeastern coast and you can only get there using off-road vehicles or horses. But don't worry, there are a lot of tours that will take you there. Also in the park is Fonteen Cave, which is a huge limestone cave with ancient Indian petroglyphs. In North Aruba, they have endless massive sand dunes just past the beaches. You can't drive on them, but you can explore on foot and there's usually no one around. Also by the sand dunes is the Old Stone California Lighthouse built between 1914 and 1916. It's named after the wreck of the famous ship the California, which crashed in 1891. If you don't mind heights, you can climb all the way to the top of the lighthouse for a truly awesome view. If you're into obscure things, there is a donkey sanctuary on the island. There's no admission fee, although donations do help take care of the donkeys. The donkeys were brought over around the 17th century by the Spanish, but they eventually became less useful and were released or escaped into the wild. Now there are wild donkeys in Aracock National Park, at the donkey sanctuary, and in the less developed areas around the island too. You'll never go wrong finding a herd of wild donkeys on a tropical island, especially if you can get them into a cute photo shoot. Aruba also has plenty of modern resorts, hotels, facilities, shopping, and entertainment options, if that's your thing. They even have all the expensive stores like Prada, Gucci, Dolce & Gabbana, David Yerman, and Cartier. Even though there have been several high-profile disappearances and murders out of Aruba through the years, it actually ranks as one of the safest islands in the Caribbean. I loved being in Aruba, and while I was there, I felt totally safe exploring the island. I highly recommend going if you get the chance. Robin Gardner was a gorgeous, blonde, 35-year-old woman who was living in Maryland before she flew to Aruba for a five-day vacation. She loved to travel, loved her two cats, Kobe and Toonsie, and enjoyed reality shows like The Real Housewives of New York. Robin was a girly girl, the type of person who always looked good, had her hair and makeup done, liked nice things, and wanted to be treated like a lady. Robin married Kenneth Gardner in 1998. They separated in 2007 and divorced in 2009. As part of their separation settlement, Kenneth was ordered to pay Robin $2,000 a month for 36 months as well as two lump sum payments of $15,000 in October 2009 and 2010. Before Robin disappeared, Kenneth petitioned to modify the payments, and because Robin opposed the modification, they were heard by a mediator and a settlement conference was scheduled for October 7, 2011. Prior to her divorce, Robin lived in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. On the outside, the couple seemed to be doing well. She had an expensive house and drove a Mercedes. But things took a turn for the worse before the divorce because their home had two mortgages and Kenneth lost his construction job. Right after the divorce, in 2009, Robin started dating Richard Forrester, and they were together for two and a half years before she went to Aruba. They met on Match.com, and it was an instant attraction. He said she was outgoing, friendly, and the type of person who got along with everybody. She was into health and fitness, loved to play tennis, run, and stayed active. Richard said they enjoyed their time together and could watch TV, go to dinners and parties in Washington, D.C., or go to art museums, as long as they were together. In an interview after her disappearance, Richard told Radar Online that they talked about marriage and a future together. He said, I'm in love with her more than anything in the world. I loved any contact with her. She could send me a text in the middle of the day and make me smile. Robin had recently been laid off from her job as a patient coordinator at a dental office and although she had her own place, was staying with Richard at least 6 nights a week and even kept her cats there. He said they were looking for a new place to build their lives together. According to Richard, their relationship was a love story. But there were things about Robin that he didn't know. While they were together, Robin was still active on Match.com and that's where she met 50-year-old Gary Giordano. Gary also lived in Maryland and she knew him for about a year. They were likely in some type of intimate relationship but it's hard to say what it really was. Several news sources alluded to it being more of a transactional relationship while some claimed they were just acquaintances and others said they were dating. Regardless of the nature of their relationship, he asked her to go on several trips with him but she always said no before this one. Her friends didn't like Gary and although her roommate Christina Jones never met him, she told CBS News that she saw text messages Gary sent to Robin when she previously turned down a cruise with him because she went to New York with Richard instead. Christina said Gary flipped out when he found out she was with her boyfriend instead of going with him. His texts were aggressive and harmful, it just didn't sit right with her. Robin's boyfriend Richard didn't know Robin was going to Aruba with Gary or even that she was going to Aruba at all. After she disappeared and Richard found out she was with Gary, he was shocked. He said he had no idea she was still on Match.com during their relationship. He also said he didn't know if the trip was romantic but he prayed they were just friends. He was upset but said the circumstances of the trip are not important to me. All I want is for her to come home safely. That's for her and I to discuss when she comes back. Hey guys, I hope you're all enjoying the last trip podcast. I'm excited to tell you about my bikini company, The Boyfriend Bikini. Now I love traveling, especially to warm tropical beaches, and I found myself always searching for the perfect travel bikini. Something sexy, great for any occasion, and easy to stuff in my bag when I'm on the go. So I took all the best bikini ideas, worked with a fashion designer in Paris and a manufacturer in Bali to create my new swimwear company, The Boyfriend Bikini. You know that saying about how girls level up after a relationship ends? They travel more, get hotter, and start a new business? Well, that's exactly what I did. The Boyfriend Bikini is about taking control of your happiness, personal growth, and being a total girl boss. I've named each bikini after a type of man I know, good and bad, because each one helped me grow into who I am today. When you order your favorite boyfriend bikini, you'll get the story behind the man that inspired that bikini. And because you listened to the last trip, I'm giving you 10% off your order by using code TRAVEL. Also, a portion of all sales will go to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Just go to theboyfriendbikini.com and use code TRAVEL to get 10% off your order. That's theboyfriendbikini.com. Code TRAVEL to get 10% off your order. Happy traveling! Let's jump into the timeline of this case because there's a lot of information to unfold. On July 31st, Robin told Richard she was going to Florida to see her parents. And at some point before she left Maryland, the couple had an argument. Robin went to Florida, but not for long because she actually had other plans. She left Florida and went with Gary Giordano to Aruba. We will never know why she finally said yes to a trip with this guy. It could be she had feelings for him, just wanted a free vacation, she was mad at her boyfriend, or for some other reason. Robin's friend Christina said she went on the trip because she trusted him and to clear her head after losing her job. Whatever the reason, she made a choice that would completely change her life. Robin and Gary flew from Florida to Aruba on the 31st of July and checked into the Marriott Hotel. She planned to stay on the island for five days. Other guests at the hotel saw them several times and when questioned later, most people said they didn't look like they were particularly enjoying each other's company, but no major red flags. The couple partied a lot while they were on the island the first couple days, drinking and going out. They went to the beach, different bars and restaurants, and hit up a casino. Two days after arriving on August 2nd, Gary and Robin woke up and had vodka orange juice for breakfast, then went to Baby Beach for lunch. We have video surveillance and a detailed timeline of their every move at the restaurant. Robin was wearing a fitted, full-length, multicolored striped dress, wedge high-heeled sandals, carrying a large purse and a blue cup when she arrived at the restaurant. To note for later, she was definitely not wearing a bathing suit under her dress. Her blonde hair was perfectly done, slightly curled and hanging below her shoulders. She had extensions in and was wearing a full face of makeup. And ladies, you know what I mean. Eyeliner, mascara, lip gloss, the whole thing. And these details about how she looked are going to come into play soon. Gary was wearing a black shirt, khaki shorts, socks, and tennis shoes. Around 3pm, Robin sent Richard a Facebook message that said, I love you, I care about you, we'll talk and sort things out when I get back. At 3.07pm, Robin and Gary arrived for lunch at the Rum Reef Bar and Grill. Gary was walking a few steps ahead of Robin, but things seemed normal. They were seated at the restaurant, and Robin immediately got up and walked to the bathroom. She was in there for two minutes. Now, I wonder if this is actually when she sent the Facebook message to her boyfriend Richard. She went back to the table, the couple ordered food, Robin had a salad but didn't eat much of it, and neither of them ordered drinks. The waitress later described Robin as being woozy, and other people in the restaurant thought she was intoxicated. At 3.57pm, Gary walked out of the restaurant and back to the rental car with their blue cups and refilled their drinks with the vodka orange juice he said he had stashed in the car. This I really don't understand. First of all, the alcohol would be warm sitting in the car and warm vodka orange juice is gross. Second, why wouldn't he just buy drinks at the bar? Drinks are not expensive in Aruba. The real question is, what was really in the cup? Was he drugging Robin? Three minutes later, Gary walked back into the restaurant with full cups. At 4.07pm, Robin went back to the bathroom again and witnesses said she appeared groggy. At 4.13, the couple left the restaurant. Gary was several steps ahead of her with the blue cup still in his hands. Before they walked off camera, he stopped and waited for her to catch up. I have to jump in here and say that in every video, he was walking a few feet ahead of her. Real men never walk in front of you unless it's to open the door for you. If you're dating a man who always walks in front of you, leaves you straggling behind trying to keep up, then just know that this guy will always leave you behind. He will never consider you his equal, he will never put you first, and he will not take your opinions and feelings into consideration because he puts himself ahead of you. He's a narcissist. After they left the restaurant, they went into the dive shop next door but didn't rent any gear. They went to their rental car and drove it around to the back of the restaurant where the beach was and got out. The dive shop owner said he saw them in a really remote part of the beach that people didn't go to and it definitely wasn't an area people would snorkel in because the beach is covered with rocks and reef. Everything after this point is what Gary claimed happened, although the police found many inconsistencies in his story. And even in watching his news interviews later, I found quite a few places where he contradicted himself. Gary claimed Robin cut her foot on a rock and there was blood found on a rock at the beach. But tests on the blood were later inconclusive. He said he asked her if she wanted to go in the water and without answering him, she got in the water and started swimming out. He said they both had snorkel masks on, so he followed her into the water, but strangely he was still wearing his shoes and socks. It's unclear what Robin was wearing because she didn't have a bikini on at the restaurant, but Gary said she left her dress and shoes on the beach. Gary said they swam deeper, and he was following behind her. In a later interview, he said the current was too strong, so he tapped on her leg and motioned for her to follow him back to shore. He said she acknowledged him, so he turned around and started swimming back. In another interview, he said he was having a hard time swimming because he still had his shoes and socks on, and they were waterlogged, and that's why he turned back. In another interview, he said he got caught up in a riptide. And in yet another interview, he said a storm hit, and that's why he was struggling. But we know by now, looking at the weather, there were no storms, no wind, and the ocean was calm that day. So calm, in fact, that the diving school in the area said the sea had no waves at all. The searchers and helicopters said the water was so smooth, they could see the marine life swimming in it. Either way, he said he started to panic while swimming back to shore and although he never once turned around to check, he assumed Robin was swimming behind him. When he got out of the water, he finally turned around and didn't see her. He said because he was tired, it would have been dangerous for him to go back in the water and look for her. Gary is also a trained scuba diver and had gear in the rental car but still didn't try to find her at all. He didn't even stand along the shore to look for her. Instead, at 6.16 p.m., Gary is seen on surveillance video, walking back to the restaurant and knocking on several doors. Gary said he ran the 200 yards to the restaurant, but the video shows no urgency at all. He's not in any type of rush, not running or jogging, just casually walking up to the restaurant. He's wearing tennis shoes, shorts, and no shirt. His hair doesn't look wet on camera, and neither do his clothes. Also, Gary wore a toupee, and his hair looked exactly the same as when he left the restaurant. I don't know much about toupees and wondered if this was possible, so I did a little research. Toupees are typically attached with adhesive and stick to your scalp for 3-6 to weeks at a time. So, would it stay on while snorkeling? It's possible. Gary would have had to use a good waterproof adhesive ahead of time, but that's only going to work in a normal swimming situation. Gary said he had to fight for his life against the current to get back to shore. I find it hard to believe his toupee would be sitting perfectly dry on his head if this was true. Not only that, his ex-wife said that because of the toupee, Gary rarely got his head wet and would not have gone snorkeling. So when he knocked and no one answered the doors, he went to the back of the restaurant where the kitchen staff was and asked them to call for help. He later told Dr. Phil in an interview that he couldn't call from his phone because he didn't know the emergency numbers for Aruba. If anyone wants to know, the emergency number for Aruba is 911, the same as it is in the United States. It took 20 minutes for police to arrive, and the whole time, Gary sat at the restaurant and waited for them. He did not go back to the beach and search for Robin like most people would. When police finally arrived, they said he was sweating profusely and there was a scratch on his neck. After he told police his story, they even asked if he went back to the beach or went in the water to see if he could find her, but he said no. Unlike Gary, police moved fast. More than 60 officials and FBI agents, Aruba cops, and volunteers searched the area along the coastline. The Coast Guard and police continued searching for her, but when it got dark out, Gary went back to his hotel. Authorities didn't find Robin. They never found anything. No trace of Robin has ever been found. The next day, Gary went to the consulate and then called Robin's mother to tell her what happened. Also that day, Gary called the American Express travel insurance. Apparently, he took out an insurance policy on Robin when he bought their flights to Aruba. A $1.5 million policy that he was the sole beneficiary of. So he called the day after she disappeared and tried to collect the money. This guy is such a piece of work. When asked about the insurance policy in later news interviews and on the Dr. Phil show, his story was inconsistent and didn't make a lot of sense. One story he told said he got the travel insurance on her because she had just lost her job and didn't have health insurance, so he got it to help her in case something happened. In another story, he said he got himself the insurance because he has kids, and since he got both tickets, her insurance was automatically added on. But if this was true, he wouldn't have been the beneficiary because it goes to next of kin, unless otherwise specified. No matter what story he tried to spin about the insurance, none of it adds up. He said the reason he called the insurance company to collect the day after Robin went missing was because his lawyer told him if he didn't, then he'd have to pay for any search efforts for her. And also because he wanted to use the money to help pay for her mom's flight to Aruba. He said he read the Holland Handbook for Travelers, and it said the number one thing someone should do when their travel partner goes missing is to call the authorities and then call the insurance company. I looked it up, and essentially that's true. It says if the missing person has travel insurance, contact the insurer's emergency support center. They can tell you whether any of the costs of the search can be claimed. But Gary didn't just call once to ask about whether her search would be covered, he called four times to try to collect the money. The agent Gary spoke to said he sounded excited to get the money, like he had won the lottery. The company said the policy was not legally enforceable because Gary and Robin were not married, related, or even business partners and didn't own property together. So, Gary sued the insurance company when he was released from the Reuben prison. American Express spokeswoman Gail Wasserman said that when taking out such a policy, you have to have an economic interest in the person for it to hold up. So he lost the lawsuit and was never paid. When Robin's mom landed in Aruba and met with Gary, she immediately thought he was acting suspicious and was lying about Robin's disappearance. Her little brother Andrew Coulson told the media he wasn't sorrowful, mournful, or anything that would indicate he felt bad Robin had vanished under his watch. Two days after Robin went missing, Gary took his rental car to get thoroughly cleaned and then returned it to Star Rental at the airport and tried to board his flight home. I don't know a single person that gets their rental car cleaned while on vacation, especially in a place like Aruba. The Aruban authorities knew it would be harder to arrest him if he was no longer in the country, so they went to the airport and detained him for further questioning right before he got on the plane. Of course, his lawyer said Gary planned to leave Aruba that day anyway, and was told he wasn't a suspect so he didn't have to stay. But obviously he was a suspect. He was the only suspect. He was arrested for suspicion of murder, manslaughter, kidnapping, and fraud. But they didn't have enough evidence to actually charge him yet. So under Reuben laws, they were able to hold him for four months to gather more evidence. During that time, he was interrogated a number of times and spun a variety of stories. When asked about his relationship with Robin, Gary said they knew each other for two years and he knew her very well. He said they were a couple and they were intimate, but that she dated other people. He also said she was an escort, but he wasn't paying her to be on that trip. When Gary was asked about what they did that day, he told the authorities Robin took sleeping pills earlier in the day and then had two glasses of vodka at the Marriott before they went to lunch. He said he didn't drug her, but rather got her more vodka and orange juice from the car during lunch to save money on drinks. Around August 11th, authorities called off the active search for Robin and turned their investigation solely to Gary, who they still had in custody. Ruben Solicitor General, Taco Stein, said they had no more leads to pursue and Gary was the only suspect. He went on to say, the suspect is standing by his story that they went snarkling and that Robin did not resurface. Police were able to find three witnesses from that day. The first was a man fishing who saw Robin and Gary walking along the reef around 4.22 p.m. about 10 minutes after they left the restaurant. Instead of getting in the water, he saw them drive off in the rental car and didn't see them return. Police later confirmed the rental car was parked in the back lot two separate times in that two hour time period. But they couldn't see on surveillance video whether Robin was in the car the second time because of the dark tinted windows. A second witness said Gary reeked of alcohol and while talking to him, his wife mentioned something about seeing blood and Gary immediately said, no, that's my girlfriend, I wouldn't kill her. Another witness said he thought it was strange that Gary was not searching for Robin, that he was not panicked and had a scratch on his throat. This witness also said he could smell alcohol on Gary. Nearly seven weeks after Robin disappeared, authorities in Aruba recreated her last steps. Police officers actually dressed up and acted the part of Robin and Gary from when she was last seen to when Gary showed back up at the restaurant. Gary was still in custody, and they asked him to participate in the recreation, but he declined. The first thing the authorities noted was the day Robin went missing, the weather was unusually calm. Also, Robin was an excellent swimmer, but rarely went in the water. Both her boyfriend and her sister said she would not have gone snorkeling under any circumstance because she wouldn't want to ruin her hair or makeup. Unfortunately, they didn't find any new clues by doing the recreation. By now, the media was covering the case all over the world, and stories about Gary started coming out. Prior to this trip, several of Gary's exes had taken restraining orders out on him. The most recent allegation was by a woman who met him six months earlier. She found out he had secretly filmed them having sex and posted intimate images of her on the internet. When she confronted him, he also put the images in her neighbor's mailboxes. He told her the world would be better off without her and that he could help. When she went to the police, Gary filed charges against her claiming she sent slanderous emails and letters to him. But his application for a restraining order was denied and hers was granted. 10 years before the trip to Ruba, Gary's ex-wife accused him of abusing their son, destroying a computer, and throwing telephones. She said he couldn't control his anger. When she went to the police, Gary again filed charges against his victim, this time claiming she hit him with a kitchen spoon and slapped him. A third woman said Gary stalked her and when he bought her a ticket for a two-week cruise that she refused to go on, he showed up outside her house looking through her window wearing a deer mask and illuminating his face with a cigar lighter. What the fuck? This guy is so creepy. According to ABC News, another woman came forward and said that Gary reached out to her after seeing her teenage daughter's photos online and said he was a producer and invited her daughter to a photo shoot in Aruba. He told her it's not going to be another Natalie Holloway or anything when trying to convince the mother to let her daughter attend. The mother never met Gary in person, but he told her if she went and slept with him, he'd make sure she was taken care of financially. He also said if she let her daughter sleep with him too, he'd set them up financially for life. When she told him no, he cussed her out and she reported him to the FBI. While he was in prison in Aruba, authorities searched Gary's home and all his electronics. They found disturbing, explicit photos and videos of Robin in various sexual positions. They also said that partial images of Gary appeared in several of the photos and the images appeared to have been taken in Aruba. One law enforcement source described the images as beyond pornographic, but she had no signs of duress. Unfortunately, none of these things were enough for the Aruban government to charge Gary with Robin's murder. Interesting to note, Gary hired Jose Baez to represent him. The same lawyer that represented another murderer we all know, Casey Anthony. Gary spent four months in prison in Aruba, but on November 28th, 2011, a judge ordered his release due to insufficient evidence. When he was released, he returned to the United States. But that is not the last we hear from Gary Giordano. He immediately did several interviews with different news stations, always contradicting his stories. In May of 2012, Gary was arrested again, this time for indecent exposure. Police found him and a female naked in the back of his SUV while in a parking garage. He said it wasn't what it looked like and somehow blamed the parking attendant who called the police on him. On June 20, 2014, Gary released his tell-all book, The Aruba Files, The Redemption of Gary V. Giordano, about the case with a photo of himself on the cover to pay and all. Oh, and the book is self-published. The book is currently out of print, but the extraordinarily long description that was so obviously written by the man himself was an interesting read. He said he found himself in a witch hunt fueled by tabloid news, outrageous headlines, fame seekers, judicial corruption, revenge, and betrayal. He said he was caged like an animal in solitary confinement, mentally and physically tortured, and repeatedly interrogated for hours, days, and months, but never gave up hope. He said the media demonized him and he detailed the torture he's experienced because of it. He went on to say that he continues to be harassed by local law enforcement trying to make a name for themselves and he's lost millions of dollars because of this. And in the end, he dedicated the book to the memory and life of Robin Gardner. The book is a woe-is-me description of a total narcissist. Still needing attention and trying to sell copies of his book, Gary went on The Dr. Phil Show. If you're interested in this case, i definitely suggest watching the full episode because it is crazy. He contradicted himself and his story over and over, and even had the audacity to tell Dr. Phil that he was the real victim, not Robin, because he had to spend four months in prison. During the show, he played a very telling video of himself and Robin. Throughout the video, he's berating her and she's quiet and just taking it, which is standard for abuse victims. In reference to the explicit photos that were found, he said they were consenting adults and recorded sex all the time and that she knew about it. Throughout the show, he referenced his book so many times that if I did a shot every time, I would have had alcohol poisoning. Gary Giordano loves the spotlight and needs a lot of attention, so I doubt we've heard the last of him. Robin's boyfriend Richard didn't want to give up on finding her. He said she would never give up on me, so I will do the same for her. I feel like I would know deep down if she was dead. That might be hope and denial, but it keeps me fighting. Her family misses her dearly and still wants answers. What happened to Robin Gardner in Aruba? Guys, I 100% think Gary Giordano murdered her and got away with it. For now. Although the internet unanimously agrees, a few other theories have popped up. Robin's boyfriend Richard wants to believe she's alive and thinks Gary sold her to human traffickers. Gary also tried to say human traffickers could have kidnapped Robin. In an interview with ABC News, he said, What you don't know about Aruba is that Aruba has two main sources of income, and it's not tourism. It's cocaine and human trafficking. He said, where we were it takes a half hour to drive a boat to Venezuela, and it turns out that where we were on the beach, that's where they drop illegals to swim to shore. Of course, there were no boats anywhere near the beach that day, and even Gary said he didn't see a boat. While cocaine and human trafficking exist in Aruba and everywhere, it's not as widespread and easy as Gary wanted it to seem. Most human trafficking in Venezuela and Aruba is traffickers exploiting Venezuelan women in sex trafficking and foreign adults of all genders in forced labor in Aruba's service and construction industries. It would not only be difficult to traffic a 35-year-old blonde American woman, but with the international attention from the case, it would be extremely unlikely that no one would find her. Robin's ex-husband, Kenneth, still owed her money from the divorce and was contesting that payment. They were scheduled to have a meeting and ruling about it in October, but Robin had already vanished. While money is a motivator in murder, I don't think her ex-husband had anything to do with her disappearance. He would have had to secretly work with Gary to pull this off, and by all accounts, they didn't even know of one another. Going back to the travel insurance, we could theorize that Robin and Gary worked together to stage her disappearance in order for them to collect and split the money, but I don't see it. Robin wasn't the type of person to walk away from her life for a quick payout. She'd lost her job, but she had her boyfriend Richard that was able to take care of her and they were in the process of looking for a house together. Also, the insurance money was never paid out, so there'd be no point in Robin to continue hiding after all these years. And on top of that, I think if Robin wasn't on it, Gary would have blamed her the second he got arrested and said it was all her idea to get himself out of trouble. The real question is whether Robin's murder was premeditated or a crime of passion. There's a good case for premeditation because of the travel insurance and trying to cash in on it right away. Gary was also having financial problems. I'm sure he thought no one would look into Robin's death because people drown on vacation while snorkeling. Maybe if he had waited to collect on the insurance money, things could have gone a little differently for him. He was way too sure he'd get away with murder and made mistakes along the way. But unfortunately, for now, he has gotten away with it. I have no doubt her murder could have been a crime of passion. The women who knew Gary said he had a terrible temper and he's been accused of multiple domestic violence incidents. He got mad at Robin the time she decided to go out of town with her boyfriend rather than take a vacation with him. So, if he found the message she sent to Richard saying that she loved him and wanted to work things out when she got back, That could have sent him into a rage and he murdered her. Gary has never taken a polygraph and refuses because he said he's been cleared through the legal system and a polygraph wouldn't solve anything. Of course, he wasn't actually cleared, they just couldn't find enough evidence to charge him, even though everyone thinks he did it. I know if I was innocent, I'd take the polygraph. Regardless of what led up to Robin's disappearance, I think Gary is behind it and I hope he's caught and prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law sooner than later. How can you stay safe in Aruba? Well, first of all, do a background check on anyone you're planning to travel with, especially if you don't know them very well. There are several websites that you can put someone's name into, and for a few dollars, you can find out everything about them. Aruba is a friendly island and generally laid back. It's customary to exchange a friendly greeting with people you pass by. The Aruban locals place a strong emphasis on environmental conservation, so be sure to respect local flora and fauna and follow guidelines for responsible tourism. When you go to the beach, nudity and topless sunbathing are not allowed. But you can definitely go barefoot, because the sand on the beaches never heats up to an uncomfortable temperature. The unique crushed coral and shell composition keeps it cool. Don't pick up starfish for selfies, they can only breathe underwater. Don't feed iguanas, especially meat or human food. You should wear reef shoes on the beach and in lagoons. I know it's not super fashionable, but it's better than stepping on poisonous sea urchins. Watch out for jellyfish, they can get spread around by boats and cause a nasty sting. Don't go in the water in the northern end of Aruba, even windsurfing and fishing is not advised in that area. Three different currents meet there and make the sea really dangerous. Don't sit under palm trees because a coconut can fall on you and it's super dangerous and apparently happens quite often. Do not climb on or hang from the branches of the fofoti trees. Do not take any sand, shells, or coral from the beaches. It's strictly prohibited, and once they confiscate it at the airport, they'll slap you with a great big fine. Aruba is extremely environmentally conscious. Most single-use plastics are banned on the island, including straws, utensils, cups, and bags. But the water is totally safe to drink, so bring a refillable water bottle with you to do your part to save the earth. Do not litter. It's against the law, and it is enforced. Even cigarette butts. Although Aruba is really safe, petty crime follows wherever there are tourists. Unattended bags go missing, hotel rooms get broken into, and even armed robberies can occur, although it's rare. Also, never leave your bags unattended or agree to carry a package for anyone. Aruba is used as something of a drugs corridor, like a middleman between South America, Europe, and North America. You do not unknowingly want to end up as a drug mule. Along those lines, drugs are illegal in Aruba, including marijuana. And there are undercover cops ready to sell them to you and then they arrest you. So your safest bet is just not to buy or do any. If you're shopping in the local markets, bargaining is not a common thing, so don't do it. You're gonna pay the sticker price. Tipping 15-20% to is customary for most services like taxis, tour guides, and in restaurants. There's a variety of transportation options in Aruba, taxes, buses, scooters, car rental, or you can walk to a lot of places. There aren't any rideshare options, but it's easy to get a taxi and they're totally safe and reliable. You can flag one down on the street, head to a resort and get one, or book one in advance. A couple things to note, taxis in Aruba don't have meters, so confirm your fare before you get in. On Sundays, national holidays, and between the hours of 11 p.m. and 7 a.m., there's an extra $3 charge, and you're only allowed one free piece of luggage. Additional bags are $2 each. Taxis won't take $50 or $100 bills, so always carry smaller bills. Taxis can get a little expensive, so a lot of people opt to rent a car. Driving is pretty standard, they drive on the right-hand side of the road, there's no turn-on red, and be aware that all rental cars have the letter V at the start of the license plate so everyone will know you're a tourist. Make sure you don't have any luggage, bags, or anything in view when you park your car. Scooters are definitely my preferred mode of transportation while I'm on vacation. In Aruba, you're required to wear a helmet, and be careful because the roads get slippery when they're wet. As far as weather-related danger, Aruba has the most sunny days out of all the Caribbean islands and is on the outside fringes of the hurricane belt, so hurricanes rarely hit. The heat can be dangerous, and that midday sun is fierce. So cover up, wear a hat, seek shade, use sunscreen, and stay hydrated. The legal drinking age is 18 in Aruba, and you can also enter a casino. If you're out drinking, always watch your drinks and never accept a drink from a stranger, and don't get too drunk. Aruba is a small island and the only area I would actively avoid is the back streets of San Nicolas at night. It's kind of like the red light district so there could be some unfriendly people and it's unlikely you have a reason to go to that part of town at night anyway. It's a safe country for solo female travelers, just choose your accommodations wisely. Read reviews from other solo female travelers who stayed there and make sure doors and windows shut and lock properly. If you are traveling solo, you don't want to stand out or get a lot of attention, so leave the high heels and glam at home. Make sure you always carry your ID because it's Dutch law. A photocopy of your passport will suffice. Aruba has a fairly good standard of healthcare and medical care available given the size of the island, but they do not have great emergency facilities. If you do find yourself in an emergency, you'll want to be airlifted somewhere with appropriate facilities like the country of Curacao. Health insurance may not be accepted in certain places, so double-check before you go. And whenever you're traveling, always inform someone about your plans before going anywhere. Tell someone reliable where you're going, what you'll be doing, and when to expect you back. And my number one tip to staying alive on vacation is to pay attention to your gut. Robin Gardner was last seen on August 2, 2011 in the Baby Beach area of Aruba, which is on the southeastern tip of the island. Robin was 35 years old at the time of her disappearance. She is white, 5 feet 5 inches, 115 pounds, long blonde hair, and a tattoo on her left arm and shoulder. If you have any information about Robin's disappearance, please contact your local FBI office or the nearest American embassy or consulate. Robin's family misses her, and they deserve to know what happened. And finally, remember to leave a review and rate this podcast five stars if you like the show, or hell, even if you don't. But either way, feel free to let me know what you think. Please follow The Last Trip on Instagram at the Last Trip Crime Pod, and subscribe on Patreon to support the show, You'll get extra research, videos, photos, and updates, and even learn about my personal travels. That's patreon.com/slash the last trip podcast. I'm Jamie Beebe, bringing you your last trip and signing off until the next one. Thanks for listening.